Welcome everyone to the Miracle Monday series. Tonight we are talking about there is nothing to fear. When we think about those words, there is nothing to fear. They're very comforting, but then the mind quickly jumps in and it says, well, why is that? Because if you are facing a problem, it obviously feels challenging and sometimes without a known solution. And in fact, it might even feel as though the problem is getting worse instead of better. And so the mind can quickly go to battle if we hold a thought about peace or not being in fear. It can quickly defend itself. The lower part of the mind, remember, that's the part of the mind that holds the idea of separation in place. The idea that we could be two separated beings, that we could be separated from each other. So the lower part of the mind has a job to do, and its job is to make sure that at all costs we do not remember our oneness with each other. So this is a a tough job the ego has, and we have to remember that the, the lower mind, or the ego as we call it, we gave it this function. And it has this function because if we actually remembered our oneness with each other, then we would no longer be able to maintain a separated existence, right? So here's this lower part of our mind that's very active in our lives in almost every way. And it has actually taught us something about ourselves that is not true. It's almost like if you were raised in a family to believe, you know, the opposite of who you are. That every day, maybe you were given some kind of uh, thought form that says you're not who you are. You are less than whole. You are inadequate. You're not smart enough. You're not being enough. You're not doing enough. So there's this idea, this consciousness that we grab onto that comes strictly from the lower mind so that we will never really know our wholeness and our oneness with each other. And we call that the tape in the corner. I like calling it a tape in a corner because it's really no more than that. And if we can realize that all we're listening to is sort of this program going on in the background, it becomes less fearful and less threatening. So tonight we'll be talking about that lower part of the mind and why there's nothing to fear. If you are listening to a tape in the corner, and if you knew that you were, would you really be afraid? You know, say that tape says, you're in danger. Uh, You know, the future isn't safe. And you won't have enough money to take care of the things that you need to take care of. And you're not healthy enough. And your health is getting worse. Whatever that tape is saying, we find that we don't have to listen. Um, If you were listening to a tape in the corner and you walked into the room and you heard all those statements, it might be scary at first if you didn't realize where it was coming from. But if all that you saw was a tape on a loop playing over and over again, it has no substance, it has no power, it has no identity of its own other than what we have given it. And actually we created the tape some time ago. The Course in Miracles tells us that somewhere along the way, we played what if. We played what if we could be separated from each other. What if there was a way that we could experience being separated when we are actually one with each other. And that what if game actually got us into all kinds of um, fear and pain and distress. But at any given time, we can be awakened from this simply from our wish to be awakened. So there's several components in why we don't need to be afraid. And really one of the first ones is is that whatever you're looking at, 
that seems problematic, the very first thing to remember is that it is not real. It's an illusion. It's a projection of your own mind that is very convinced that you could be in a problematic situation. So whatever we hold in our thoughts and consciousness, um, it's almost like there's a little projector in our head and it's actually projecting this picture outward um, in terms of our external experience. And then we see that projection and it sure looks real. It feels real, might even taste real or you might hear it as real. You'll use all your senses. And so it's really challenging to deny the idea that this thing isn't real. Well, the lower mind would quickly jump in and say, what do you mean it isn't real? I mean, look at it. You can touch it, hear it, taste it, smell it, whatever. This thing is real and it's sitting right in front of me. So how could you deny the reality of your problem? But if we go back to the idea that we are the children of God, we are the effect of the only cause. We are the individualized expression of love. That, by definition, because we are the children of God, this is a big deal. And some of the children of God have walked the planet and have actually tapped in to the reality of that truth. And they have actually done things that are far beyond perhaps anything we have done in this room. But it's only because they actually allowed that truth to emerge back into their own consciousness. And this enabled them to do things that appeared far beyond uh, reality and perhaps look like miracles. But each one of us has that capacity because each one of us comes with that capacity for greatness and magnitude and power beyond measure. But it's a little frightening to us because in the time that we've spent here on earth, however long that's been, we've really been practicing being small and being little. I mean, imagine that we're in this, this separated body as our identity. We look to the body to be our identity. So now we've lost sight of the whole in order to claim what is not true. Just so that we could have the experience of being this little sliver of what we would think to be reality. But the moment that you adopt the idea that you are now just a little finite body fighting against a great big world and universe, then that can be pretty scary. Because you could really be doomed by that. You could be sort of uh, walked over or killed, challenged. You could take on illness at any time. All of a sudden you feel powerless and frail. And as we walk this path, our big temptation is to no longer identify ourselves as this unwhole person with this identity that's not based in truth. So what do we do instead of that? So here we are walking around in this world in this finite body, but we are infinite. We are eternal beings. And being children of God, we have a very, very powerful side to us in that we actually are co-creators. But without realizing how powerful we are, we have allowed ourselves to use our thoughts to create. And what we've done is taken our fearful thoughts because that's what our mind is consumed with much of the time. We take those fearful thoughts and we entertain them. And then what happens is that we'll look outward and we will see our fears made manifest. Now that fear experience is looking back at us and it's just screaming at us to declare that what we're looking at is real, it's uh, unsolvable, and maybe even impossible. So tonight we can look at our illusions and the very first thing is to realize they are really not real. 
And for anyone here or online, if you've ever experienced a miracle before, you know, a miracle is when something happens that can't be explained, that the lower mind has no rationale for it. You know, maybe a doctor has a patient on the operating table and, and they flatlined and everybody's about to leave the room and then all of a sudden they just come back for no reason. You know, these, these things that happen in our form of reality that are unexplainable. Well, what caused that, right? Or if you go through an experience and all of a sudden a solution shows up and it's not something that you ever thought about or even conjured up yourself and it just shows up in the right time and the right place. But sometimes we have the experience where the solution doesn't seem to show up. And you might wonder about those because there are times when it does. Isn't that right? That you kind of ask for something and then voila, there it is. But what we're coming to understand is that when we see something happen right away, it is generally in those times where fear has not been invested because fear causes delay. Fear causes delay. So every time you go into fear, you're not really hurting yourself. You're not doing anything that could cause harm or danger. But what you are doing is you are pushing away and delaying the time that could be spent in happiness and joy and peace and health and prosperity. So we don't want to use our thoughts for fear. And we can ask for help with that. Not so much, God, please take this fear from my mind because we can't really ask God to make us think differently. We really have to invite that, right? Because we have the power to think. And that really can't be taken away from us. But we can be students. We can learn to think with love instead of against it. So as we're going down our path and we see our problem in front of us, there's nothing to fear because it's an illusion. And as we draw upon the truth of that which we are, truth will make itself known. And then the illusion begins to dissolve and correct and heal. That's the effect. Because there's no longer anyone holding it in place. You know, it's kind of like it's plugged into the wall. And every time you draw upon the truth of who you are, it's like unplugging the illusion. It has to come down. It has to correct or heal or dissipate or dissolve completely. Because if you are no longer the one holding it in place, there's no one holding it in place. So we always have this option. I think of it like we created Frankenstein and then all of a sudden he's taking over the laboratory and you know, crashing all the instruments. And, but sometimes we forget that we created him and we can uncreate him. And even if we forget to do that, we can ask for help. So another reason there is nothing to fear is because we have help. The moment we invite the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit responds to our slightest invitation. Now sometimes it may not look that way, but in fact it's true. And the reason it doesn't look that way is because sometimes we're asking for an answer to a, to a problem. We're trying to get to the solution, but what, what's happening is we're actually holding the illusion in place with our own fear and with our own commitment to what is not true. 
So say if I ask one of you here to really help me to understand something and it's all based on an illusion and you're right there to explain it to me, well, Robin, this isn't true because, and you're just about to give me the great reasons why, the, why this problem of mine is not true, but all of a sudden I get preoccupied again and I start staring straight back into the problem. So it's really challenging to try to explain something to someone that sort of keeps going to sleep on you. And every time we go into fear, that's what we're doing. It's like falling asleep. So we want to come to realize that so that we'll stop doing that. But remember when we do this, it's not like you get a demerit. It's not like a big, uh, you know, red X next to your name. It just means that you're delaying your happiness. And by definition, you're delaying the solution. In the Course, it tells us that God has actually already given us all of our solutions. That actually, in truth, everything has already been given. And that the child of God is not without anything. Everything has been given. It's a package deal. But we are not aware of that because there's a part of our mind that's focused on what is not true. And it is challenging, you know, in the middle of the day when you're faced with a problem or somebody on the other end of the phone line and they sure think it's true and then they've now handed it to you and you better think it's true because if it even, even looks like you're not addressing it then you get labeled as you know maybe lazy or not caring or you know some way that you're writing this problem off so the balance in this world is how do you how do you work through a problem spiritually and still handle it on a physical level and just one of the keys, and we've talked about it before in here, but one of the keys when you're addressing a problem is to always do what's in front of you to do. The best that you know how in the moment. And you try to do the best you know how to do because that's always going to lead you towards peace and away from fear. But what you do consciously, what you do spiritually, is what will actually rectify the situation. There's nothing to fear because it's not real. And there's nothing to fear because there's a part of God's mind that remembers the truth. Well, all of God's mind remembers the truth. But there's a part that we can draw upon that will remind us of the truth. And when you hear that word, the truth, you might go, well, what is the truth? What does that mean? And you know, I used to ask that myself, and I still do from time to time. But what I found is that the truth is much like waking up. So if you're in the nightmare, the greatest way to get out of your perceived problem is to wake up. So it's like an awakening, but you're still walking here in this particular situation on this planet, but you're in an awakened condition. So every time we draw upon the truth, we invite that part of our mind to sort of reset and get back to our true identity. And the beauty is, is that we don't have to know what that truth is. Our part is just to invite it and to know that it's possible to be remembered. The truth doesn't give us something we don't already have. It's actually reminding us of something that is already known. That's what makes it so easy. You know, the whole process seems so challenging and so difficult, but the only challenging part is our own resistance to the awakening of what's true. And you might wonder, why is that? Why is that so hard? I mean, if truth is so good, and so happy and so complete and so whole and the illusion is so painful so miserable so horrible <laughs> why would it be so hard to choose the truth but you know what our truth is we love our creations we love our miscreations and so we love this part of ourselves that has the ability to make decisions whether they're right or wrong 
because we find a little sense of power in that. And until true power is remembered in a world that seems so dark and limiting and challenging, it's nice to draw upon something that feels a little bit powerful. So even your decision about how to solve a problem feels a little bit powerful because you do have the option to decide. You do get to decide that if you get in your car and go out your driveway, you get to decide which way you're going to go, right? There's something a little bit empowering in that. But what we've done is we've chosen that power of decision to replace true power. Because the lower mind would say, well, if you give up your power of decision and you rely on your higher consciousness to tell you what to do all the time, you might just be a puppet. You might just be someone that is, uh, you know, at the whim of God, someone that doesn't matter, someone that's non-essential, that all of a sudden you will become like a moot point. That somehow this God is just this big ego that wants to act out all of its you know, thoughts and experiences through us, this, this little being. But that's not what it is at all. As we give up our limited consciousness, as we give up our power of decision-making only to learn how to truly make decisions. And the way that we truly make decisions is by asking the part of our own mind. Remember, it's not separated from us. We ask the part of our own mind that knows the answer that knows the solution that will bring peace to every person involved in the situation. We're going to that place of our mind and consciousness to draw upon the decision. So whatever's facing us right now, whether it's a, you know, a, a bank loan that needs to be paid or maybe it's a groceries that need to be purchased, whatever that problem is, as quickly as we can, we want to go to the source itself and ask for help with perceiving this particular experience through the eyes of love and dedicating the whole situation to the truth. In the Course it says, any situation dedicated to the truth, peace is inevitable. And so whenever I'm in a really challenging situation, one of the very first things I do is I dedicate my whole situation to the truth. And even when I didn't know what that meant at all. I just would do it anyway because I like the second part of that sentence that said, peace is inevitable. I wanted that peace. And if that's what it took, I'm ready to play. So take your situation right now. Maybe it's a conflict in a relationship, whatever it is, and dedicate it to the truth. Peace is inevitable. Once you make that dedication, you might fall asleep in consciousness, you know, 25 more times. But what happens is from your initial welcome, the answer at that point is constantly trying to be given you. But we turn it away. We resist the answer many times. You know, I have a friend that has this horse and she was trying to keep the horse out of danger. And there was a really muddy part of the field. And so she had to take her horse and walk it very close to the fence, which it doesn't like at all. And she was leading it on a lead rope, trying to walk it very close to the fence so that she could get it around this obstacle of mud. And the horse fought her. It just was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And it was just, you know, pushing and, and pulling back. And she, she was having such a hard time guiding that horse around the obstacle. And isn't that the case with our own divine guidance sometimes? We feel an intuition. We feel something in our gut that says act a certain way. 
and then the fear rises up again and then we act the other way and it's okay it's not like we're um we're at fault or anything it's just that the quicker we get to the place of non-resistance what we are doing is inviting a very peaceful mind and we are inviting the guidance that will lead us around our perceived obstacle and in fact when we learn to do this uh, more consistently we will have more consistent results right now our results are not all that consistent sometimes you pray for something and you get the answer sometimes you pray for something and you don't and that inconsistency comes from our own mind that has been inconsistent in listening for the answer so we don't want to use that to judge ourselves because any form of judgment is like that iron gate it comes down once again whether we are judging another person or ourselves so we don't want to go there we just want to remember that our own consistent application our own vigilance in listening it's not in solving the problem you know that's a huge difference isn't it I mean let's just say you have a huge problem Maybe you have a whole country of people that are starving to death. Let's just take it up to a higher problem, right? If your problem is to solve this situation, that's really tough, isn't it? That's a tough problem to solve. And you probably won't be able to solve it on your own, right? You might, and you might make some headway. But the idea that one person could solve that problem on their own, that could be pretty challenging. But think of this, that what we're really doing is we're asking and listening for the answer. Do you see how different that is than trying to do it yourself? The do it yourself thing is very exhausting and it wears our mind down and then we get back into judgment and fear and worry and distress. So whatever problem you're facing right now, we can just right now in this moment dedicate it to the truth and trust and know as a group that peace is inevitable. We have a question. I just wanted to ask, don't ask for the problem to be removed. Ask for the answer to what I perceive okay. to be the problem. So her question is, you know, sort of how to pray in that situation. So the reason we don't ask for the problem to be removed, and that's kind of funny because it seems like the first thing that you would do if you go into prayer, you'd say, dear God, please fix this problem for me. But we go back to this idea that, you know, God created us as whole and complete and loved and we have everything. That is what God knows of us because God created us and that's, that's what God sees within us and as us and through us, right? So now we come along, we have a misperception. We see ourselves as less than whole. It's not true. So if we go to God and we say, God, will you please heal my problem that is the result of my misperception? What can be done? What was given is already total. What we have is already everything. So what can God do in that situation when everything has already been given? Now what God can do is help us to see it differently. But we have to ask for that. That's why sometimes it feels like divine love or the loving consciousness, the higher realm is not responding because in truth, we are still holding the problem and unwilling to see something instead of our perceived problem. And remember that love or divine consciousness is 100% pure love. It must be invited. It's not because it's an ego and it needs to get that rush from having us invite it so that it can look so big and powerful. 
It's because it is waiting eagerly to heal our minds of all the illusions that we have stepped into and taken on as real. Imagine your own child or a loved one asleep on the couch having a terrible nightmare. And then they, they call out to you. Maybe they're a little bit, you know, starting to wake up just a little bit. And they kind of know you're there, but they're still in the nightmare. I've done that before. I've been in the middle of a nightmare. My eyes are wide open. I'm even sitting up in bed and I'm still seeing the nightmare. And I'm talking to my husband about it on the other side of the bed as if it were real. And it's not. So if I ask my husband on the other side of the bed, you know, please take this away from me. Please heal this. You know, fix this problem. What could he do? What's the only thing he could really do to help me with my problem? He could wake me up, right? But it's not that easy in this case because we as the children of God, we also get the power of decision. So we can choose to stay asleep. So when somebody wants to help wake you up, that's a great thing. But if you choose to stay asleep, they cannot do it. It must be welcomed and they must wait until that decision is made. So when we pray, it's not, dear God, please heal my problem. It's please heal the part of my mind that believes a problem exists. It's such a big shift in prayer. And I tell you, when I started to turn this around from reading The Course in Miracles, it really started changing everything. But of course, one of the things you'll do right away is you'll start blaming yourself more. Because if you think that your problem is the result of your own weakened mind or own undisciplined mind, then you have a temptation to kind of judge yourself or hold yourself in contempt. And the Course says, please don't do that. Because it's the same thing. Whether you're judging the world, another person, or even yourself, all judgment is a denial of the truth. Because if I go around now and I judge myself as guilty because I created all these problems, what I'm really saying is the problems are real. If I create something that's not real, would I be mad at myself? You know, when you wake up from a nightmare, are you mad at yourself because you, you could have done it differently? I mean, you wake up and you're just grateful to be awake. You didn't create anything was re anything that was real. And so when you wake up, what do you have? You have relief. You're, you're relieved that it wasn't real, right? So when we are facing the problem, we want to ask for the healing of our thoughts and perceptions to let truth correct all the errors in our mind. And it only takes that initial invitation. Now, it's helpful to invite it all the time, of course, every time there's fear of any kind because that quickens our pace. That builds that spiritual muscle in terms of our willingness to wake up and let go of our illusions. This is what really builds our, our own capacity to draw upon it and to let the truth emerge back into our consciousness. So this thing called the truth, as we come to experience it, if we are truly whole beings that do not lack anything and that we are complete, and loved and safe at all times. Do you realize that as you draw upon the truth and even as you begin to wake up, even when you're in that groggy state and, you, and you've woken up from the nightmare, even in the groggy state and you haven't quite opened your eyes yet but you know that your dream wasn't real, you know that state I'm talking about? You're not all the way awake. You're not all the way engaged in what's supposed to happen next or what do you do now. 
but you're in that little groggy state that says, thank God that wasn't real. That's kind of where we are now or else we're very close to that state. So we're a little groggy about it. You know, we're, we're still remembering the illusions very powerfully in our mind and we have a temptation to just leap right back into the illusion time and time again. But there's a little part of our mind that is welcoming that awakened condition and all it takes is that one little step into the awakened mind and all the effects of the illusion are lifted, aren't they? Say you dream that you have a terrible illness and that you're supposed to die. Maybe dream that you did die. And then you wake up. And even in that groggy state, you go, oh, it wasn't the truth, right? It's not really happening. So we can draw upon that at any moment. We don't have to be wide awake and singing and you know experiencing all the greatness of life. That will come as part of our awakening. But even if we can make it to that moment where you just acknowledge from that awakened mind that is in within each one of us if we can get right there and just leave a little bit of an opening to say I choose to be awake and in my awakeness my illusions have no power they are not real and there is nothing to fear in that split second of a moment you have just taken all power away from the illusion. It cannot bind you anymore. And you may not even feel like you're awake yet. Like maybe your situation, you look out with your eyes and what you see still looks like the old problem. But the reason we don't have to, there's nothing to fear about that is because what we are looking at is our past thoughts made manifest. So even as we are in the groggy state of awakening, you remember how you're still remembering the illusion just a little bit? The details of the dream are still right in the front of your mind. But as soon as you wake up all the way, poof, there they go, right? Most of the time, it's like, what was that? I was gonna tell you about my dream, but can't remember. It's like a fleeting thought that just kind of skips away. But when you're in that little bit of a groggy state, you're still pretty tuned in to the illusion. Illusions have no power. They have no effects of their own. An illusion can't have an effect. If I see a mirage in the desert, can it get the sand wet? Ever? Under any circumstances? If I see a mirage in the desert, it looks like water. Can it have any effect on anything? It cannot. So one of the quickest ways that we can get to know fear is we look straight at our illusion, straight at our problem and say, you are not real. You are not the truth because you're not happy. I mean, I'm not looking at anything that's making me happy. So right away, I know it's based on a misperception. That's how I know. It's like that's the alert that goes off. When you're looking at something that's bringing up fear or anxiety or worry or distress, that's your checklist. If you, if you come up with any one of those or some of the other um, attributes that we think of, then you can check off even one of them. You know you're looking at an illusion. It's like a, a mirage in the desert. The moment you know you're looking at an illusion, remind yourself that the illusion has no effects of its own. Therefore, it cannot hurt you. 
So we recognize it as powerless. We take all of our commitment to the illusion, we just draw it right out of the illusion, and we place our attention firmly on peace. And in every situation, no matter what it is, whatever's facing you, choose peace as your goal. Not the fixing of the problem, because if you ask for the problem to be fixed, what you're asking for is an illusion to replace an illusion. So what you're asking for is more illusions. That's challenging, isn't it? Because if you don't have enough money to pay something, it seems only likely that you would pray to God and say, God, you know, I need 50,000 bucks right away. I need, I need to pay for this. Or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm losing my home. I need to be able to have, you know, all this money coming in. What we're actually asking for is an illusion to replace an illusion. Because the idea of lack is something we made up. So if we want to get to the place of knowing our abundance, we don't say, God, please give me that money. It's God, please heal any place in my mind where I consented to, contributed, or aligned with the idea that I could be lacking in any way for any reason. Now you're asking a question that can be answered. Because that means what I'm really saying is I want to wake up. Isn't that what I'm saying? When I'm in this problem and I'm asking to be shown how there is no problem, well, the only way that can be done is I'd have to be awake. Because my illusion, my dream, is going to be filled with more illusions. So we can even ask that, dear God, please help me to wake up. I choose to be awake in your love. I choose to be awake in the power and the presence of who you are and who I am. And I'm looking at illusions and they're making me scared. So would you please help me to see this differently so that I can get back to the safety and the peace and the joy and the happiness and the abundance and the health that is your will for me. When you're looking at a problem, one of the things that the Course goes into is that this is not God's will for you. And if we can really hear that, this is not God's will for you to be in pain and lacking and suffering. Sometimes we think God is the one that's holding out on us, testing us. What an awful idea that is. I mean, this whole idea of a test and suffering and sacrifice completely engineered by the lower mind. Only the lower mind would want to test someone, see how far they squirm before they uh, can't take it anymore. You know, did you yell uncle yet? I didn't hear you. This is not God's will for us. God's will is that we have everything. And first I used to read those words and I thought, how can that be true when that's not what we experience? But each day and in every way that I practice these principles, I am finding that it is true. Because as my fear is coming down and my peace is going up, everything I ever even thought or imagined or found joyful in my mind is beginning to show up for me. It hasn't all the way shown up, but about 90% has shown up. And it wasn't through my own hand. It wasn't through my own effort. It's just that as I'm you know, walking through this stage of awakening, what the beautiful thing is that your nightmare turns into the happy dream. And then the happy dream is a natural transition into the awakened state of consciousness. But just think that all it takes is even that little groggy state. And we can say from that place in our mind, oh, it wasn't real. 
we will come to know this, that whatever we're experiencing right now is not based on truth. Now the thing is, is we are still walking in this world. We still have to act, don't we? We, can't, we don't have the benefit of just running off and sitting in a cave somewhere and, and just uh, meditating the rest of our lives. Some do that. But part of the God realization, the realization of the infinite in a finite experience, which would seem impossible. How would you, how would you experience the infinite in a finite parameter? In truth, it, it, it can't be done. But what we can do is begin to understand the truth even in the context of a finite situation. And as we do that, we draw upon our own inheritance, our own state of being, our happiness, our health, our abundance. It all comes with it. When we make peace our goal, what we're asking for is to be awake. And when we're awake, there is no problem. So even drawing upon these concepts, you're going to see your perceived problem shift, correct, and heal. Because now no one's holding it in place. There is nothing to fear because we don't have to heal ourselves. And I love that thought because I've always been one of those people that always thought I had to do everything. You know, something I taught myself a long time ago and so I'm trying to break that habit that it's not up to me. I don't have to solve everything. And that if we will surrender into that beautiful, divine, loving consciousness, that it will do the work. It's not really work, is it? Showing us what we are instead of what we are not. But it will be the one to guide us in the best possible way to be able to remember the truth in the quickest possible way. And that part's not up to us. There is nothing to fear because God walks with us, through us, as us, and that it is guaranteed that we will wake up. It's guaranteed, according to A Course in Miracles. It's kind of a nice thought, isn't it? That it doesn't take our excellence in order to pull it off. Just the invitation. So whatever the problem is and however big it is, we, we also, there's nothing to fear because there's no order of difficulty in miracles. It doesn't matter how big it is. An illusion is an illusion. Illusions have no power and therefore there's nothing to fear. If something has no power and it's not real, why would it be feared? It's only feared when we deem it as real and then we're scared. So if you're in the nightmare and you're being chased by the boogeyman, it can look pretty threatening, harmful, dangerous. But if we were to turn and look at that illusion and just declare right there, you're not real. You have no power over me. And there's nothing to fear. Do you realize that's enough to wake yourself up from that illusion? In the Course it says if we could get to the place where we have no use or value for the illusion then it's done but we think our creations our miscreations are our identity so if I create a business 
now my identity as I know it is wrapped up in this business. So if this business is going down, so to speak, there's a part of my mind that is terrified because I've linked my own identity to this business. I have taken away from my mind the truth of who I am. I have denied it to myself. And now I've taken it and put my faith in something where my faith is not warranted. A business would be an expression of our love not the source. A business would be a way that we choose to love the world. It would not be the part of us that holds our happiness or our abundance. If we look there, we will be disappointed because it's not the truth. If I create something, say I create this coffee table and I think it's great and maybe I made it with my own two hands and now I say, okay, that's who I am. I'm this wonderful coffee table maker. And so if anything happens to this coffee table, that means that I'm nothing. If it breaks, there goes the greatness of me. But if I love to make coffee tables, well, that's great. And I can share my tables with everyone and they can enjoy it. And that's wonderful. But I want to remember who and what my source is. Because if one coffee table gets damaged or falls apart, that would do nothing to my identity. Guess I'd just make another one. So we're putting our faith in things and circumstances that are outside of us. There is no outside of us. If we're wondering where to turn, it's always inward. Inward is where the answer is. Inward is where the source is. And it's hard to even know what inward means. You know, what is that? But what we know is that if we will just for a moment be willing to disengage from that external picture, that somewhere on the other side of that, somewhere beneath that, somewhere where we can't see it, the truth is waiting to be unveiled. It's waiting to be awakened into. And the way that we do that is that when we have fear, when we're worried and, and concerned about our situation, is to turn that over and ask for peace. The memory of truth, the memory of God, it's all the same, comes to an unclouded mind. And so it cannot come when we're in anger, distress, misery, disappointment, frustration, and confusion doesn't mean we're bad people, but it does mean that we are going to delay our own awakening into the condition where our safety is guaranteed. So our choice to worry instead of trust deprives us of all the benefits and perks of our true identity. Any worry, fear, or discomfort is a defense against the truth. And we can ask for help with that. And that's why there's nothing to fear. Because first of all, we're believing in something that's not true. We're guaranteed to wake up. We're looking only at our past thought. And we have help. God walks with us. And our peace is guaranteed. And the Holy Spirit responds to our slightest invitation. Even if we forget and choose against it in the next five minutes, that initial invitation started everything rolling towards your awakening. So the beautiful part is once you've asked for that, you've asked for it. And it will happen. We can delay it with our fear and our worry, but 
we can't keep it away for long. In the Course it says healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer has a use or a value for the pain. And you would think, well, I don't value pain. Who would value pain, right? But in essence, we do because the pain is the evidence that what we see is real. Remember how we've made up our world in our mind and consciousness? We made up our world. So whatever we're experiencing as a result of our miscreation, that's the evidence that our creation is real. So do you see how easily we could hold on to it with all of our might? It would be very easy for us to do that. If you create something, you don't necessarily want to give that up, even if it's painful sometimes. If there's a perceived problem that we have created somehow or contributed to, there might be a secondary gain in having that problem. Perhaps you're ill and uh, you know family members are coming in or friends to support or bring love or resources and that may not be your intention but maybe it sure feels nice just to have people coming around people that are showing their love for you and when you're not feeling very loved or lovable at the time this could be a form of a secondary gain it's not something to be guilty about it's just something to be aware of because no matter what's going on if we're feeling sick or sad or helpless or powerless if there's any reason for us to continue feeling that way you know sometimes we can be on disability income and we don't want to be but there's a fear that if I go get a job I'll lose this disability income and that's a normal fear right and what if I can't do that job what if that job doesn't last very long and at least I have this steady check right so it can be challenging and scary to think about giving up what you have even if it's a fragment and even if it's not enough sometimes giving up what's not enough is scarier than taking on something that could potentially wake you up to have everything but the lower mind will always counsel you and it will always say don't give up this terrible situation because it will only get worse and that's what I love about The Course in Miracles is because it tells you the ego or the lower mind's tactics. So when you have that fearful thought, well, I can't let this go because, well, what about the future? What will happen then? Then we can know that we're listening to the lower mind. And we don't want to take actions that bring up greater fear. If your fear is beginning to rise out of a particular action, then it's not a good time to take that action. You want to go back to prayer, you want to go back to surrendering it, and you want to say, please help me to see this differently, guide my every step, give me every word, every thought, and let me see through the eyes of love. Help me to remember my safety as you have given it. Very challenging in a world where we see it all and everything we see is false. Think how challenging that is. The Course says there's not one thing that we're looking at with our eyes that is based in truth. It's interesting, isn't it, to see what we see with our eyes? It's dramatic, it's colorful, it's um, pretty exciting at times, it's terrible and terrifying <clears throat> at times, but it's not the truth. And as we draw upon the truth, even not knowing what it is, we begin to wake up. And as we wake up, we begin to experience the safety and the resources 
and the peace and everything that has already been given to us that we already have and that everything we've ever longed for or searched for is already ours. That's the awakening. And once we realize it inwardly, we will see it outwardly. And the Course that asks us, would we like to be right or happy? Most of the time we choose being right because to be right means that our illusions are real. And remember how the ego or that tape in the corner, it's always counseling you, well, don't give up being right because it'll just get worse. This is a tough experience we're in because everything we see looks so real, it's so convincing, and we were part of creating it, and so that makes it hard to let go of even all the more. What this book tells us is that what we gave up, we can't even fathom what we gave up to have this little illusion that we're having. We can't even imagine the breadth, the the volume, the loftiness, the greatness, the magnificence of what we are denying right now to have this thought that we're having and to hold it dear. Every fearful thought is a defense against the truth. Every single one, every judgment is a defense against the truth. Every judgmental thought is keeping us asleep. Every fearful thought is holding us in the dream. So if you want your dream to improve, if you want your outward experience to look a little brighter, then our focus needs to be on the truth and waking up. And the way that we do that is by realizing that it is not up to us to judge our situation. The moment we assign meaning to anything, now we are hostage to that situation. So our part is to ask about everything at first. How should I see this? Tell me how to look at this. It could look like the most terrible thing in the world. Maybe you just saw a big car accident happen right in front of you. And you could ask yourself, how do, how do you want me to perceive this? Even before you've assigned trauma and fear and worry and distress, or as quickly as you can remember. Maybe you've already gone there, and that's okay. God is retroactive. Just because we fall asleep doesn't mean the truth stops being true. We can draw upon it anytime, from anywhere, from any moment. We tend to use the problem to remain powerless. Going back to that tape in the corner, the whole idea is that the, the lower mind's thought system is, I'm not worthy, I'm not enough, I'm not loved. The whole idea is that you are powerless, that you can't do anything about this. We get caught up in the problem because we try to fix the problem thinking that will solve the problem. Isn't that what we've been taught? That in order to fix a problem, you have to solve the problem. You have to have a plan. You have to do it in a way that would bring about the solution. And then you look to this book, which is a 180, and it says a healed mind does not plan. Wow, that's a lot. A healed mind does not plan. For a person like me that definitely has a very active left brain, that one threw me a lot. As you hear these concepts, the greatest thing you can do is practice them. I read that one day and I thought, is that right? A healed mind doesn't plan. Well, I knew I wanted a healed mind. So I was just about to do a workshop. 
And so I went out to do this workshop. I normally make out my full agenda and I have all my little talking points that I'll that I'll, I'll go over and add into the lecture. And, you know, I before I would really detail it out so I wouldn't miss anything, I wouldn't forget anything. But really what I was doing was blocking that divine consciousness from flowing right through me. But I didn't know that. I was trying to actually close all those gaps where the spontaneity can occur or the humor or the fun of that experience. And so the day that I read that, I was headed off to this workshop and I just took my agenda and I purposefully left it behind. And as I drove to the workshop, I was really scared. I'd never done that before. And then there's a part of my mind that says, you will forget what you're going to talk about. You will forget what to say. And then you're going to sit there with those people for three hours and you will have nothing to say because you left your agenda on the counter. And I have to tell you, I was really scared, but I was willing to try it anyway because what did I want? I wanted a healed mind. And if what it took is not planning, then I was going to play this game today. So that's when I walked into the room and it was just after 9-11 and the whole room was filled with fear. It was a Saturday morning after that date and it was a healing workshop and right away one of the people present in the workshop, she began crying now, I couldn't have accounted for that in my agenda, could I? It didn't say, start with the crying woman. <laughs> so I left a little space there, and before I ever got started, she was crying, and she had lost her son in the towers on 9-11, and she came to let go of her grief that day. That wasn't in my agenda, right? So we paused for a moment. We used our transformation techniques, and she was able to put down that grief, seriously, in 10 minutes. Now, it didn't mean she doesn't love him with all her heart and miss him with all of her might, but she no longer felt the stabbing pain in her heart. That's what we're after, is that the pain would be eliminated. What do you do in corporate settings when, you know, in a lot of trainings they say, you know, you have to be prepared and the, the question being asked is, what do you do in a corporate setting? And that's a great question because you can't just uh, tell your boss, oh, a healed mind doesn't plan. <laughs> but you sure can think it. So you can still come up with your agenda. And that's what I do today. I do come up with an agenda, but I pray first. And I ask what needs to be on that agenda. And then I leave lots of room for blanks. Because I like to let whatever rolls through me have that time. And so you can actually do both. So you show up and you've got your beautiful outlined agenda, but you've already asked what needs to be here. What would be a good way to go with this, at least in a sense of direction? And then you can always leave a little bit of time uh, for that divine, spontaneous flow. I have a question. Uh -huh. A little bit similar like planning, but goals. What is the course thing about goals? You know, we're taught you should have intermediate goals, mid-range goals, right. long-range goals. Exactly. The course, um, the only part that it really focuses on is that the only real goal is the goal of peace. But see, we think that in a corporate environment that that doesn't really match up, but actually it's everything. Because if you have a deadline coming up and maybe there's no way you think you can meet that deadline and maybe you're short on time or money or resources, then if you make peace your goal... It means that somehow, some way, the means will be aligned for you to meet your goal. 
And if for some reason you did not meet that goal in terms of your actual deadline, that there was something important that needed to occur, to occur instead of that. And that's where our faith and our trust comes in. The moment you make your goal of peace, then that means everything will begin to be aligned for you without your effort that will lead you straight into peace. Well, it's not peaceful to blow a deadline. It's not peaceful to have an experience with a bunch of disappointed people. That's not very peaceful. So what will happen is the, the whole situation will begin to unfold in a way that everyone wins and peace is the uh, experience for all. As far as long-range goals, it would be the goal is peace. <laughs> Short-term, mid-term, long-range, my goal is peace to wake up and know who I am. Because once we're awake and we're in that divine alignment of awakeness, what begins to occur is that obstacles melt away before you reach them. You know, for many of us, we have an obstacle. Sometimes we can, you know, get it taken care of before the obstacle gets there. But most of the time, it seems like if you have 11 hours available and you have a project, you use up like all 11 hours in 11 minutes, right? I mean, it's, it always was bizarre to me that even in the corporate field, that no matter what I had to do, if I had a deadline, it seemed that my whole crew we were all working on it up until five minutes before the stroke of the end of that deadline. Maybe it was a contract that had to go out or something had to be signed. And we could be working on it for three days, nonstop, long work days, and somehow, miraculously, we would get it done five minutes before the assigned deadline. But why is that? You know, the, the reason is that all the people involved, everybody's got that deadline in mind. Everybody is in agreement that we must be done by this time. And so no matter what you do, the means are being aligned to make sure that goal is met. But what we're realizing is that our goals are interfering with the goal of peace. It doesn't mean we can't have goals, but we want to learn to ask about those goals. Because, you know, like a, like a three-year-old would gladly play with a shiny pair of scissors. They would think it's really great, really wonderful, not realizing it could very much hurt them, bring them pain and misery. And even as adults, we take on goals. We take on a decision that says, this is what I will do. This is how I'm going to do it, not realizing that that very decision could cost us everything in terms of our well-being and our happiness and our peace. So many times we make a decision thinking this is what I want, this is how I want it to go, this is what needs to happen here, and we are wrong, wrong, wrong. And it turns out terrible, and there's, you know, and then you look back on it, and you don't know what happened and why it happened that way, and then you try to do it again. So as long as we're asking in advance, you know, please uh, help me with my thoughts, my words, my actions, my behaviors, everything that I am, help me to walk in alignment with your peace, your wisdom, your understanding, your grace, so that all throughout this experience, I will know the peace and the safety that is my right. It's like making that reservation for peace in every situation. So there's nothing to fear because it is not the truth. The moment you begin to feel fear, you want to stop and you want to ask for help with your perceptions, not with the problem, with your perception. The perception is what's driving the experience. If you perceive that you are lacking, if you perceive you are in danger, 
if you perceive that you are sick, then your mind will begin to align experiences that will validate your perception. Do you see what a big deal that is? And even though we're not creating anything that's real, we're going to scare ourselves. And that's not useful. We need to, as we look at our problem, we want to ask ourselves, is there any value in this being the way that it is? Maybe, if, maybe we have a problem and we're feeling punished by something or pummeled by something. And maybe the value that we're assigning to it is that this is the evidence that I made that screwed up decision back there. Like if I had just done that right, this wouldn't be happening. Do you recognize that one? That you're looking at the problem and the problem is the evidence that you screwed up. You made a bad decision. So that is a value because the value is saying this problem is the evidence of my guilt. So if I were to let go of the guilt, I wouldn't need any evidence to show that I'm guilty. If I let go of the illusion, then I don't have an illusion to prove my guilt. So one goes hand in hand with the other. So sometimes guilt can be a value or a use. Is Question. it right to ask to reveal what the value is, or is it better just not going down that path? To, to you ask the greatest questions. Um, she's asking if um, is it okay to ask for the value of a particular illusion, or is it best to stay away from that? And I would say yes, it's best to stay away from that. Focus only on the truth, because you know the ego or the lower mind can give us all of these experiences to focus on and keep our mind off the truth. And one of its sneakiest and most divisive ways is to have you analyze it. <laughs> right? I'm going to analyze it. So let's say we're, we're on the couch, we are asleep, we're trying to wake up, but let me just look at this illusion one more time and see if I can figure out why I would have thought about a dragon wearing this uh, purple collar. Hmm. Right? So that's not useful. It's not, it, it means that we're not doing anything, but we're not doing anything, right? We're focusing on the illusion, which means by definition, we are choosing not to be awake. You have to pick one. And so if you have to pick one, then we're just going to focus on the truth. Now, sometimes in focusing on the truth, and I would say most of the time, it will be revealed to you your uses and values and where that illusion came from. It will be shown to you because as your mind becomes illuminated again, as it has always been, but as that comes back into your mind, you will begin to have answers to the questions you've always had, and all of a sudden you just wake up with the big aha, and oh, that's, that's where that came from. Why is there nothing to fear? What's your first thought about that? Why is there nothing to fear? Because it's not real. It's not real. Just right there. You, you want to get that to be your innate response. Somebody uh, shared a, a little healing story over the weekend, and she said, you know, she found out her, um, her heater needed to be replacing and all that, and it was like a $10,000 repair. She thought, wow, $10,000. So she immediately went to prayer and just said, I'm just willing to see this differently because it felt very unsettling that her heater was going to cost $10,000, which she, you know, didn't have at the time. So the moment she said, I'm willing to see this differently, and then all of a sudden it dropped to 5000 And that was still a little problematic. And so she said, uh, well, 
if I if it's going to cost five thousand, I'll have five thousand because nothing can happen like outside of me, right? So if I'm required to have this, I'll have it. I'm still willing to see it differently. I'm willing to have my goal of peace. And then by the time it was done, it was like $120, I think, to have the heater completely fixed and working again. She hadn't had it working in like three years. So she went three years without heat um, with the fear of the big cost and, and the replacement and all that. But do you see how the uh, lower mind speaks loudest, quickest, and in a most convincing way? And if we go, $10,000, $10,000, you know, Annie M, it's a twister. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Incoming, right? And so our temptation is to analyze it, pour over the problem, try to fix it, solve it, change it, make a difference. What am I going to do about this? And do you see it's like rolling over and just, and just going deeper into the illusion? So our innate response if it's $10,000 you don't have, it isn't real, right? And that sounds crazy, but, but that response starts the tumblers, right? So it isn't real, and what we do know is that we have a right to our abundance. We have a right to our happiness. We have a right to our peace because God gave it to us. It's our right. You know, talk about drawing on your rights, the highest court of the land gave you these inalienable rights to have happiness. So the moment you see something that smacks not of happiness, it's not happy to have a bill you can't pay. It's an illusion. If you're in joy and happiness and gratitude and you're singing all the time, well, you don't have anything to worry about, do you? Because it probably means you are in an awakened mind and consciousness. Who walks with us? Infinite love. Infinite love walks with us. There is a part of our mind, our mind. It's not outside of us. It's not 900 miles away. There's a part of our mind that knows every answer. And every answer has already been given. So we're, you could almost think of it like a vertical reality instead of a linear one. It's not that you have to keep journeying and keep walking and keep processing the pain. In a vertical moment, you can pull on the consciousness and pull in the awareness where there is no problem. And that sounds so strange, I know, you know, because you're looking at a problem. How can I say this is not real? It all sounds so crazy to the lower mind, but practice it. Because when you do that, when you go, I'm willing to see this differently. I'm willing to realize it is not real, it has no value, I have no use for it. I'm willing to know the truth instead of this. I want to know the peace instead of this. And your commitment to knowing the peace is enough. Everything else gets arranged. It's not even up to us. So there's great relief. We're just listening for guidance. We're not trying to solve the problem. Because in the guidance that we are given, we will be shown the answer that tells us that there, there is no problem. You know, if you need 20 bucks, wouldn't it be greater if you could remember that you're wealthier than you've ever been? Wouldn't you rather have that remembrance than 20 bucks? Wouldn't you rather remember your constant state of wealth and abundance such that, you know, lack and illusions and misery and despair are no longer possible? Isn't that a greater solution 
than getting 20 bucks so that the next you know next five minutes you need 20 more and you're looking for that so getting an answer to our perceived problem of lack would never really answer the problem it never did anything with the concept of lack and of course it says that we can have anything we want but not those things that delay us in time and I've thought about that a lot you know does that mean that we can't have money does that mean of course not money would be if we're here and God's love is with us wherever we are so would it make sense for us to be anywhere and not have what we need if there is a presence that loves you wherever you are if you send your little child off to a ski camp are you going to send them without the clothes no you're gonna send them without the food no and the resources no so God loves us at least as much as a loving parent and if we are here we will have everything that we need but when you think about not those things that would delay us in time think about is there anything I'm asking for that I am putting my happiness in like I'll be happy when I have that that's a delay in time isn't it If you're saying I have to have this and then I'll be happy I must have this relationship and then I'll be happy I must have this money and then I'll be happy so if we were given that then what we'd be given is something that we're placing our happiness in a future moment it literally would delay us in time and the way that we get around that is to realize that the love the companionship the joy everything that we seek and are asking for we literally have it already and if we will draw upon the truth of this reality we will see it and then we're not delayed in time because we're choosing to have our answer right now and the answer is that your perceived problem has no reality let's do a couple of readings just some really pretty ones here one is lesson 194 today's idea takes another step towards quick salvation and a giant stride it is indeed so great the distance is that it encompasses it sets you down just short of heaven with the goal in sight and obstacles behind your foot has reached the lawns that welcome you to heaven's gate the quiet place of peace where you await with certainty the final step of God how far are we progressing now from earth how close are we approaching to our goal how short the journey still to be pursued except today's idea that we place the future in the hands of God and you have passed all anxiety all pits of hell all blackness of depression thoughts of sin and devastation brought about by guilt except today's idea and you have released the world from all imprisonment by loosening the heavy chains that lock the door to freedom on it you are saved and your salvation thus becomes the gift you give the world because you have received in no one instant is depression felt or pain experienced or loss perceived in no one instant sorrow can be set upon a throne and worshiped faithfully in no one instant can even can one even die and so each instant given unto God in passing with the next one given him already is a time of your release from sadness pain and even death itself God holds your future 
as he holds your past and present. They are one to him, and so they should be one to you. Yet in this world, the temporal progression still seems real. I think of temporal progression as just that linear timeline. It seems that we have to just go through this process of healing. So the process still seems real. And so you are not asked to understand the lack of sequence really found in time. You are but asked to let the future go and place it in God's hands. And you will see by your experience that you have laid the past and present in his hands as well. Because the past will punish you no more and future dread will now be meaningless. Release the future for the past is gone and what is present freed from its bequest of grief and misery, of pain and loss, becomes the instant in which time escapes the bondage of illusions where it runs its pitiless, inevitable course. Then is each instant, which was slave to time, transformed into a holy instant when the light that was kept hidden in God's Son is freed to bless the world. Now is he free, and all his glory shines upon a world made free with him. To share his holiness. If you can see the lesson for today as the deliverance it really is, you will not hesitate to give as much consistent effort as you can to make it be a part of you. As it becomes a thought that rules your mind, a habit in your problem-solving repertoire, a way of quick reaction to temptation, you extend your learning to the world. And as you learn to see salvation in all things, so will the world perceive that it is saved. What worry can beset the one who gives his future to the loving hands of God? What can he suffer? What can cause him pain or bring experience of loss to him? What can he fear? And what can he regard except with love? For he who has escaped all fear of future pain has found his way to present peace and certainty of care the world can never threaten. He is sure that his perception may be faulty, but will never lack correction. He is free to choose again when he has been deceived, to change his mind when he has made mistakes. Place, then, your future in the hands of God. <laughs>